Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Well, good to see you tonight. Good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to go to a couple places in the Scripture tonight. Galatians chapter 5, of course. We're going to continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And, um, and I'm excited about tonight. And, uh, but I'm, I'm going I'm to try to do this as a Bible study tonight and kind of teach this and, um, uh, the best that I can. And, uh, because I really feel like the subject tonight is very important for us and to us tonight. And I really have labored over this word and prayed over this this week. And I really feel uh, that God has, is going to speak to our hearts tonight. Galatians chapter 5. And then we're going to be going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll be there for a little bit also tonight. And just as our, as our text, and this is our series text, Galatians 5 and beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. Praise God. Those are very rich words, very, very powerful words, and, and we're going to look into these fruits of the Spirit. You know, we began our teaching on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, speaking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We described our lives in Christ like an orchard, and an orchard in which the Holy Spirit works in our lives to produce fruit. And we talked that there were three terms that describe the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, He does it through the gift of the Spirit, which is salvation. He gives us the gift of, of the Spirit, which we receive at the moment that we are born again and receive Jesus. There's the gifts of the Spirit, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And then the fruit of the Spirit is the graces of the Spirit. The fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, if we were defining it, in our lives, in our life, are those traits of Christian character which are produced by the Holy Spirit. And so last week we talked about uh, Bible promology. And remember, promology comes from the Greek word promona, which was the Roman goddess of fruit. And, and we talked about the study of the science of fruit growing last week. And so here in verse 22, it says, But this, the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, we contrast the life lived according to the flesh and the life according to the Spirit. We contrasted that last week, and we studied four categories of fruit. We talked about the palms, which are fruits that have a core or a seed, like apples. Uh, We talked about the dropes that have a pit or a center, like peaches and plums. We talked about the fruits that are berries, strawberries, raspberries, blackberries. Uh, Those are are berries. Then we talked about the aggregates, fruits that, that grow in clusters, like bananas and dates. Paul is saying to us, that the fruit of the Spirit is a cluster. Remember that um, he is speaking when he says the fruit of the Spirit, he's speaking this in the singular. So it's not just one fruit, it is a cluster. And so the fruit of the Spirit is the cluster of these that are mentioned. It is all of them working together. 
that we should all strive to carry the fruit of the Spirit, which is all of these that are mentioned in these two verses. And we talked about the process of fruit growing, that successful fruit growing has several processes. There's the process of planting, the seed and the germinating, the cultivating, the nurturing, and the pruning we talked about. And the producing of fruit was for two reasons. One was to reproduce fruit for consumption and the purpose of propagation, reproducing itself. And we talked about those things. Tonight we're going to shake the fruit tree of the Spirit, and the first fruit that falls to the ground tonight is love. What has love got to do with it? Y'all ever heard Tina Turner's song, What's Love Got to Do With It? And uh, such a something kind of motion. A, uh, I don't know what it is. It's been so long since I heard that song. Um, but that was a Tina Turner saying, what does love got to do with it? I'll tell you this, love's got everything to do with it tonight. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Before us in these verses, there's the beautiful picture of the fruit of the Spirit. And, uh, and it's figurative. We see this. Uh, uh, and we talked as a definition of spiritual abilities or characteristics reflected in the personality and relationship of the spirit-controlled believer. And so it is spiritual abilities or characteristics reflected in the personality and relationships of the spirit-controlled believer. And so that's what we talk about. That is, that is carrying out and living in the spirit, walking in the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is, is its abilities are being brought forth in the, in, in the characteristics that's reflected in our personality, and they also spill out into the relationships that we have living as a spirit-controlled believer. Now, America's favorite fruit, what do you all think America's favorite fruit is? Apples, that's right. You probably know that. <laughs> America's favorite fruit is apples. Did you know there are 7,500 different types of apples? Isn't that amazing? And um, uh, apples were very important in Greek mythology. Aphrodite is always pictured with an apple. Uh, in America, in the, early, in the early days of the colonists, apple orchards were almost on every farm. Every family almost had an, a, an apple tree or apple orchard. Matter of fact, the first law that was passed, um, the uh, the in, a, in the colonies was a law of proper punishment for those who robbed apple orchards. And so I'm, I'm sure that that's, that's information that you are dying to know. Um, but also we know the story of a man who spread apples. He was a preacher by the name of John Chapman. And he, wore a, uh, he walked around barefooted and, and wore a, uh, 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 what do they call them, those bags, those sackcloth bags, and, and his, he was best known to us as Johnny Appleseed. And so uh, he's part of our American history. And, you know, there are great health benefits to apples. Apples help our digestion. You ever heard that an apple a day keeps the doctor away? I don't know how true that is. There's probably some truth to it. Did you know apples clean our teeth? Apples have properties that clean our teeth. They fight harmful bacteria in our bodies, and um, um, 
And so they have a significant aspect to our life. So tonight, we're coming to another type uh, of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And so the first fruit that falls off the, the tree onto the ground tonight is love. Is there anything, what's better than love, right? What is sweeter than love? How important is love? It, here it's mentioned as the chief characteristic of the Spirit-filled life. The first of the graces that are mentioned here of the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of love. Everything flows, the fountains, the source of all fruit flows from love. Jesus exhausted the meaning of love. The love of God, uh, he, he exhausted the meaning of, of the love of God in two statements that he, that he gave us. One, the love of God in two statements. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Jesus spoke that. The Apostle Paul says here in chapter 5 and verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All through the book of Galatians, we see the fragrance of love seen all through the book of Galatians. Chapter 2 and verse 20, the Bible says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a great passage of Scripture. And we just read to you, chapter 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. We read verse 13 to you and verse 14. Um, and so the book of Galatians is filled with all kinds of, of this fragrance of love. And love means different things to different people. The word love has, been, um, has taken on all kinds of meetings. There is the, uh, the young love of adolescence, right? There's a poem, a uh, Preacher used to say to me, I used to crack up at it. He said, love is very funny. It's a very funny thing. It's shaped like a lizard and wraps its tail around your throat and goes right through your gizzard. And uh, that's supposed to be a rhyme. I probably didn't say it right. But love is a feeling and the strangling of love, of adolescent love. How many of you have ever had an adolescent love or an adolescent crush when you were young and uh, you had crushes? I had a crush on a, on a teacher of mine when I was in school, and I thought she was everything. And I thought, man, someday I'm going to grow up and marry her. I'm in the second grade. And her name was Miss Stopman, was her name. And uh, uh, I was immediately had a crush on her as adolescent. And we all have had adolescent love. Another use of love in another way is we say things like, I love my truck, I love my Volvo, I love my... You know, I love my Yugo or whatever you own. I love peanut butter. I love my dog, right? I mean, we say, make statements like that. Um, there was a guy that had a bumper sticker that said, like, it said something like this. Wanted prospective wife who loves dogs. Send picture of dog. And so that was on his bumper sticker. The Bible, when it uses this word, is using a different kind of word. Uh, not, it's not the normal word that we use today. Love, it's used the word love in a divine origin. 
It's a love that comes from God. It's a love that First uh, John 4, verses 7 and 8 tells us that love is of God and that God is love, the Scripture says. A distinctive, particular kind of love. Living, we're living in a world that is starving for love. You all know that, right? Some have despair of ever finding love. And uh, again, Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? It's just the secondhand emotion, right? And uh, people are looking for it. People are looking for love. The human heart is so constructed and has a natural desire that it be loved. God has created us to be loved. And the, God's, God's definition of love is a divine love. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And, um, you know, for years, um, you all remember uh, the famous atheist uh, Madeline Murray O'Hara. You all remember her? In 1995, she went missing. And uh, her body went missing. She was an ungodly woman. Um, she was... Uh, um, a woman that, that did everything she could to remove God from every aspect of our society. And, uh, but I don't even know if they ever found her body. Um, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But they did have her diaries. And they did have uh, her diaries. And in her diaries, she talked about her money problems. Uh, she talked about um, her desire for power politically. Um, but she and her uh, aspirations in politics. Um, but when she would sign off on her, on her, in her diary, every time she wrote, she would sign off in her diary. She would say, somebody somewhere loved me. That was the cry of her heart, was that somebody would love her and that someone... And, and there, there, the Bible tells us that there is a love in the heart of the child of God that this world desperately needs. And when, we, when we, we come to Jesus, His love was put in our hearts. This divine love that He put in our heart. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who is given unto us. And God's love was deposited into your life and my life. And my question for you tonight is, if God has put love in your heart and my life and our, my heart, do we love people? Do we love people? If God has shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has given unto us and has deposited this eternal love inside of us, can we answer the question tonight, do we really love people? Do we really have a love for people? And I want to talk about love tonight. First of all, I want to talk about love. Number one, I want to talk about love defined. How do we define love? It's not easily defined. Um, matter of fact, the Greeks have several words uh, for love. Uh, you may know some of them. There's the word eros, which is erotic love, sensual love, uh, lust-driven love. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. Eros love does not appear anywhere in the scripture. There's phileo, or, or, uh, where we get the word Philadelphia, our brotherly love, our social love. Normally, uh, it's a love we have for family, for friends, 
for our uh, social organizations that we're in and part of, and the people we're around. The, the Bible describes um, uh, about love in a whole different meaning than, um, than those familiar to us. The Bible talks about a love, and you've heard the word, agape love. That's God's love. It's divine in its origin. It's spiritual. It's love to its highest degree. It's love to its highest degree. Love is that spirit in the heart which desires the highest good of another person, regardless of the treatment extended toward us. Let me give you that definition again. It is love that in spirit is that spirit in the heart which desires the highest good of another person, regardless of the treatment extended toward us. I really believe the fruit of the Spirit here is talking about Paul when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love. I believe he's talking about relationships. The Bible talks about our loving God. That's a vertical relationship. That's the primary emphasis of our life is the, is the vertical relationship that we have with God. But there's also the horizontal relationships that we have with one another. And so, and, and there are many admonitions in the Bible. Um, we know that, that love, when love comes into our heart at salvation, uh, love becomes, uh, there's a new a constraint. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, the love of Christ has constrained us. Uh, 1 Peter 4.8 talks about our new covering. Love shall cover a multitude of sins. John 3, verse 34, talks about a new commandment. You are my disciples, if, and you are to love one another. There is, uh, love is to be as a clothing. We are to put on love. Colossians 3, 14, put on love. That, uh, that bound, the bond of perfection in our life. But this is a heavenly kind of love. God's love. I now have the capacity to love my family, fellow believers, and to love this world. And so the great pattern or example of love was the Lord Jesus. It, is, it was revealed through him. God has always loved us. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, he loved us with an everlasting love. The Hebrew word means a vanishing, a van, a vanishing point to vanishing point. In other words, God has always loved us. He will always love us. He revealed, he revealed it. He defined it in his life. He demonstrated it. God demonstrated it through the gift of his son. And we know through the scripture that the Bible says in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would soever believeth in him should not perish. But what? We have everlasting life. Bible tells us in Romans 5.8 that God commended his love toward us. It, the word there means he, he showed or he proved it. God commended his love toward us. Yet while we were sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. How many are thankful that he loved you enough to die for you? John 13.9. He the love, he loved us in this world to the end, the scripture says, all the way to the end. 
John 13, 9 says, Jesus loved us all the way to Calvary. That is what love is all about. Ephesians 5, 2 says, walk in love as Christ also have loved us and has given himself for us. Do you notice that in a lot of these scriptures, the connection of love and giving are connected? That he gave his love, he gave himself for us, that giving is connected with love, as in John 3.16, Galatians 2.20. He loved us and gave himself for us. Love defined. The scripture defines love and tells us how love is defined. It's, it is it is divine. It is agape. It is, it is supernatural love. It is, it is a love that is far beyond even our comprehension. Number two, love is described. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I have read this chapter many times. I have done weddings on 1 Corinthians 13. I have uh, uh, used and taught out of this passage of Scripture for a long time. And, uh, and this, is, this is here is the love chapter. Uh, it talks about uh, the love, uh, how we are to uh, love one another. And there's great principles that are here. But there are a couple things that I've seen as I was preparing that I had not ever seen before. See, the Corinthian church, of course, was a church that uh, was really, it, it was a church that was a mess, to be honest with you. The scripture says that Paul says that you have come behind in no gift. There's no gift that you've come behind in. And uh, the Corinthian church, um, uh, it's not the gifts of the Spirit that demonstrate a Spirit-filled life. It's the grace of the Spirit that demonstrates the Spirit-filled life. And, and a lot of times we we misconstrue that the determine whether somebody or something is spiritual is how they operate in the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit is not an indication of someone's spiritual maturity. And the reason the church was a mess that right between the gift chapters is this uh, manifest chapter on love. In chapter 12, verse 31, it says this, but, the earnest des- but earnestly desire the best gifts... Yet I will show you a more excellent way. What what is Paul dealing with? What is he talking about? A more excellent way. In other words, he's saying, I'm showing you the more important gifts. Follow after love. And and what Paul does in chapter 13, he simply lays out to them that the gifts of the Spirit have to be rooted in love. They have to be rooted and demonstrated in love. And if not, it's a dangerous to the church. It's dangerous to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is the most blessed manifestation of the character of God. It is a, it's a, it's a very powerful manifestation of the character of God. 1 John 4.16 says this. It says, it says, as we have known and believed, the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God is in him. It is the manifestation of that love. You can have the right doctrine, but they had the right doctrine, but love was absent. 
And so, listen, it's easier to be religious than loving. Did you know that? It's easier to be active and serve than to be loving. And so what happens is is churches carry gifts and they operate in those gifts. But what happens is the danger is, is those gifts, if they're operated without love, then they become very dangerous to the body. And, and, and here the Apostle Paul is trying to bring a foundation to the, the, the church's giftings and how important this fruit of the Spirit is. Because it's one thing to have the right doctrine, but uh, if love was absent, then there is trouble. And so chapter 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians here is, is what some scholars call the hymn of love. It's the uh, lyrical uh, interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount. He said in, in verse 31 of chapter 12, I'm going to show you a more ex- health, I'm going to, an excellent way. The health of spiritual living is not reflected in spiritual gifts, but in spiritual fruit. The health of spiritual living is not reflected in spiritual gifts, but in spiritual fruit. Without the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit... Uh, cannot operate except in the flesh. You hear what I'm saying? Without the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit cannot operate except in the flesh. And if they operate in the flesh, then they become counterproductive to what God has intended, the gifts of the Spirit, to operate in our lives. And so if we don't operate out of the fruit of the Spirit with the gifts, then what happens is the gifts become fleshly. If they become fleshly, then they become counterproductive to what God intended them to be. In verses 1 through 3, here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul begins, and he begins to talk about, and he says this, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or or a clanging cymbal. And although I have the gift of prophecy, understanding all mysteries and all knowledges, And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. What is Paul saying? Paul Paul is saying that life, spiritual Christianity is empty um, when love is absent in its midst. When we are operating in ministry, are operating as the body of Christ and love is not in the midst, there's an emptiness that comes to our lives. Paul was addressing that. The focus of the emptiness that is produced when love is absent. I don't ever want love to be absent from my life. And I hope you don't want love to be absent from your life either. And so when we come to verses 4 and 5, we see that Love is described through this prism. We see the colors and the hues of this. Paul begins to break out this spectrum of love. And and each ray that he talks about, each aspect of love, it gives a facet or a property of agape love. And so each of these, these words that are mentioned, how love is or the properties of love that are mentioned... These are, 
these are mentioned, um, all these properties are verbs. They're not nouns. It's not what love is so much as what love does and doesn't do. In other words, these are verbs. These properties that when Paul speaks about what love does or doesn't do, these are not just uh, uh, adjectives that describe love. These are actual verbs. These are active. What love is. Agape love is active. It's not abstract and it's not passive. It's, it's not, listen, we just, we're not to just feel patient. We're to produce, we are to practice patience. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We don't feel, just feel patience. We practice patience. We don't have kind feelings. We do kind things, right? We, do, we don't just recognize truth. We rejoice in truth. Love is fully love only when it's, when it, when it's act upon. And in 1 John 3 and 3.18 um, shows that to us and makes that evident to us in our lives. As with God's word, we begin to look at this and he says in verse 4, he says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. And it is not puffed up. Verse 5. Does not have rudity. Uh, or does not behave rudely. And it does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Uh, think, it provokes and thinks no evil. Now we can't go through all of these tonight. But I want to talk about a couple of them. Because as I begin to study them. I begin to see some of them a lot different. Than what I had seen them in the past. And we can take them for their face value as we read them, but there are deep meanings into these words. And so, first of all, in verse 4, it says, love suffereth, or love is patient. Some translation says, love suffers long. Uh, Our love has, uh, in other words, love has a long fuse. And this is exclusively, when Paul was speaking here, the word exclusively means patience with people. It's not circumstances or events. It's not God giving us patience in circumstances or events. This is relational. This is exclusively patience with people. Has anybody ever ran out of patience with people? (laughs) I know I got a few of you in the crowd. I know, right? We all have, right? It's, uh, you know, the ability to be inconvenienced are taken advantage of by a person. This is what it means. It's, it's the patience that is given when the inconvenience are taken advantage of by a person over and over again and, and yet not to be upset or angry. And so the real what this patience produces is a lack of retaliation. That's what it means. It means it's a patience that doesn't retaliate. The Greek word, um, in the Greek world, it was considered uh, a weakness. Matter of fact, Aristotle uh, taught that vengeance was a virtue in in people's lives. And in the Greek world in which Paul wrote this, and which Paul talks about, that someone who showed patience with others was considered weak, 
or someone who did not use vengeance on others was considered someone who was very weak. In the book of Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen when he's being stoned. He said, do not hold this sin against them. It's a supernatural patience for mankind. How many know God has showed patience to mankind? God has allowed, he showed his patience to allow men to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9. Robert Engels, the great atheist, when he would give, great, give his lectures, um, in the middle of many of his lectures, he would stop in the middle of his lecture and he'd say, I just want to stop for just a few minutes and give God five minutes to kill me um, and, uh, and, you know, and just said, if there's a God, then let him strike me dead right now. He would do that in the middle of his lectures and he would wait and he'd say the fact that God didn't strike him dead was a sign that God did not exist. But Theodore, Theodore Painter said this, he said, did he think that he would ever, that he would ever exhaust the patience of God? How many know God's been very patient with us? How many God can be very patient with us? How many know God's been patient with this nation? How many know God has been patient with many folks? But why is God patient? He's patient because it's his desire to see men know his love and feel his love and be changed by his love. How many of us tonight are thankful that God was patient with us? And waiting on us to receive his love. That he didn't just strike us dead where we were. But that he showed his mercy toward us. This is his love. His long suffering. His patience in our life. And so love suffereth long. And is patient. Love has the patience to, to not retaliate. But to have patience for people in our lives. Some of you that may have prayed for a loved one for a long time to receive Christ, you know what that patience is like. For God to give you that divine patience to wait on a loved one to come to Christ, even though they were living their lives contrary to God's word or contrary to what God's is. But God is patient God. And that divine love that he gives us is a love that produces patience. God produced patience in our heart tonight. Give us the ability not to want to retaliate God when we've been taken advantage of over and over again, yet we refuse to be upset or angry, God. But give us patience to love like you love. And we thank you, God. The Bible says that love suffereth long. And it says love is kind. Love is kind. Now, patience will take anything. Patience will take anything from others. But kindness will give everything to others. Patience will take anything from others. Kindness will give everything to others. The word means to be useful, serving, gracious, actively good-willed. It, it's, it's, it's to work on others' welfare, to work on the welfare of others. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 5. I love this passage. Matthew 5, 40 and 41. The Bible says, If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak. And whoever compels you to go one mile, 
go with him two miles. In other words, what is being said here? It's this concept of being a two-mile Christian instead of a one-mile Christian. To go two miles instead of one mile. If someone asks you for your garment, give him your coat. If he asks you to walk one mile, go two miles. It's, it's kindness. It's the kindness. It's the active kindness that, that, uh, to, that cares about the welfare of others. Jesus said this. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you all know that the word easy there in the Greek is the same word that is used for kindness here? In other words, my yoke is easy. My yoke is gracious. Jesus, Jesus, he says, come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. In other words, the yoke that living for God is a yoke that is easy. It's kind. How many know Jesus is kind to us? He doesn't allow us to carry the burden, burdens that are too heavy for us to carry, are too, are too much for us to even carry in what they are. And so it's interesting when we begin to look at this. Agape love is a powerful word. In the scripture, the word love, we never see the word used as romantic or sexual love. Uh, the eros word is never appears in the New Testament. It is, uh, it, it, nor does it refer to a mere sentiment, a pleasant feeling about something or someone. Agape love is, is, is a love that's much deeper. It does not mean close friendship or brotherly love like phileo. Agape love uh, doesn't mean charity. The word charity is used in the King James translators have used it. Uh, and it, does, it is not associated with the needy. But the word agape is a powerful word. And it's a divine word. Uh, Dr. Carl Menninger, the famous psychiatrist and founder of Menninger Clinic, he, he has written, this is what he wrote about love. He said, love is the medicine for our sick old world. If people can learn to give and receive love, they will usually recover from their physical and mental illnesses. The problem, however, is that few people have any idea of what true love is. Most people, including many Christians, seem to think of it only in terms of a nice feeling, a warm affection, a romance, or a desire. Sometimes when we use the words, I love you, we often mean, I love me and I want you. That, of course, is the worst, worst sort of selfishness, the very opposite of what agape love is. Alan Redpath, the pa uh, pastor, tells the story of a young woman who came to, her, came to him and desperate and despondent. She said, there is a man who says he loves me so much, he will kill himself if I don't marry him. What should I do, she said. He said, do nothing, he replied. The man doesn't love you, he loves himself. Such a threat isn't love, it is pure selfishness. Self-giving love, love that demands something of us, love that is more concerned uh, with giving than receiving. It's a love that is more concerned uh, with, with giving than receiving is as much 
of the church today as it was in Corinth. The reason, of course, is that agape love is so unnatural to human nature, our world has defined love as romantic feeling or attraction, which has nothing to do with the true love that comes in Christ. Agape love is God's love. It's God so loved the world. It is a love, it is a love, it's a love that is about all that is sacrificial. It is sac- there is no place for pride, vanity, or arrogance. Self-seeking, self-glory is an act of choice we are commanded to exercise even in behalf, on behalf of our enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Agape, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, Matthew chapter 5. And so it's a powerful, it's powerful word. This word agape and agape love, it's a powerful word. The Bible tells us in verse 4 that love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. In other words, it is not jealous. Now, this word envy is the first of eight negative descriptions of love that's listed here. Love is not jealous. It is it, Love and jealousy are mutually exclusive. Where one is, the other cannot be. Where there is jealousy, there can't be love. Where there's love, there can't be jealousy. And so, where the one is, the other can't be. Francis Schaeffer said, jealousy is the enemy of honor. And so it manifests, jealousy manifests itself two ways. One, it manifests itself is, I want what someone else has. That's jealousy. The second and the worst of the two is, I wish they didn't have what they have. That is more selfish. It is evil desiring. In other words, love is not desiring the worst for someone or wishing that they did not have what they had or they weren't blessed. It's it's a jealousy wishing that I had something that somebody else has had or I'm wishing or desiring something evil for someone and wish they they weren't blessed or they didn't have. How many know one of the things we need to put back into the body of Christ is the ability to honor one another? And to celebrate one another's victories in life. To celebrate the blessings of God that come into each of our lives. And to rejoice when someone in our fellowship rejoices and when they gain or when they have success. To love them, agape. In other words, to love them sacrificially. And to rejoice when they rejoice. To be happy when they're happy. To love them in a way and honor them because God has blessed them. Man, I hope God blesses you. I hope all of you are blessed. And that's why we rejoice in the testimonies of God's goodness in each of our lives. We should never, love does not envy. Love does not become jealous of the blessing of God on somebody else's life. And I want to tell you, sometimes... You know, and I as a pastor have heard a lot of it. I'm sure you have too. Well, they only have it because they did this or because they done that or they, you know, they, this or they give an excuse of why they're not. But I'll tell you why they're not blessed. 
because they don't know how to walk in love. They don't know how to rejoice over the goodness of God. You know, when somebody's got something that you wish that you desire, you'd say, God, you did it for them. Do it for me. And do whatever it takes in your life to receive what they have received and the blessing of God that has been on their life. Part of Satan's strategy to Eve was that he convinced Eve to be jealous of God. In other words, Satan made Eve feel, he said, you know, you'll be like God. She became jealous of God and what God could do. Matter of fact, the first murder in the Bible was over jealousy. Did you know that? That Cain slew Abel. He was jealous of his sacrifice to the point that he murdered him in Scripture. Love does not envy. Love is not jealous. We're to live in the agape, sacrificial love. As we look through here and we see that love is envieth not, and joy, it, it, it finds joy with others instead of jealousy. It, it does not, um, it is not puffed up. It does not behave uh, unseemly. It shows good manners. It's, it seeketh not its own. It doesn't become selfish, as the scripture says. It's not easily provoked, touchy, fly off the handle. In other words, uh, love is not easily provoked. You know, I'm not easy, you can't, we, can't, we can't love people and be easily provoked to anger and easily provoked to damage relationships quickly. It thinketh no evil. It keeps no records of wrong and rights. You know, one man said, every time me and my wife fuss, she gets historical. He said, no, you mean hysterical. He said, no, she gets historical. She tells me all about the things I've done wrong in the past. She's keeping records of wrong and right. (laughs) My wife is laughing up here. It learns to, thinks no evil. It learns to bury the failures of others. Rejoices not in iniquity. But I want to mention this tonight. In verse 7 it says, this is key. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love bears all things. And so to bear all things means to It means to all things are what? All things that are acceptable to righteousness and God's will. The word bear there means to cover, support, or protect. To protect from exposure or ridicule or from harm. In other words, it's not, its desire is not to expose, but to bear all things. The Corinthians care little for the feelings and the welfare of other believers. Proverbs 10, 12 tells us, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. So what is bearing all things? To cover, to support, to protect. You know, one of the things that as a pastor that I, that I deal with, and I get criticized sometimes for it, is that sometimes people want me to when people mess up in their life or they have a moral failure or they have a failure in their life, they want you to expose those people. 
Tell all the nitty-gritty. Get it all out there. Let, let everybody know everything that's wrong with them or everything that's happened. But that's not love. The spirit of the gospel is not to expose but to restore. You all know that? The spirit of the gospel is to restore. And sometimes to bear all things means to carry. It means to not bring to exposure. It means to protect. It means to cover, help cover sin and protect sin and not to destroy people's lives because they've messed up, but to help give them a path of restoration, to help carry people through the most difficult times of their lives and even the most difficult mistakes of their lives, carry them through so not to be exposed, but so that God can bring restoration into their life. We need to get good at that. We need to be a church that loves to the point to where we're a church of restoration. We just don't go expose sin, but we help cover sin. It doesn't mean we hide sin, but it means we deal with it, not to expose it, but that whoever is involved finds a place of restoration and renewal and is brought back in the right relationship with God again. It means to feel the pain of those it loves. It means to carry. It means to carry. In other words, to bear all things means to help carry the failures or the mistakes of those that have messed up. It's to carry. It's to help carry. Look, to help carry the pain. When someone you love hurts, you want to help carry that pain with them. You're bearing all things for them. I want to read this to you. During Oliver Cromwell's reign as Lord Protector of England, a young soldier was sentenced to die. The girl to whom he was engaged pleaded with Cromwell to spare the life of her beloved, but to no avail. The young man was to be executed when the curfew bell sounded. But when the sexton repeatedly pulled the rope, the bell made no sound. The reason was the girl had climbed up into the belfry and wrapped herself around the clapper so that it could not strike the bell. Her body was smashed and bruised and bloody, but she did not let go until the clapper stopped swinging. She managed to climb down the visible bruises, the bleeding, to meet those who were waiting the execution. When she explained what she had done, Cromwell commuted the sentence. And a poem was beautifully recorded. Recorded the story as follows. As his feet, she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn. Her sweet young face still haggard with the anguish it had worn. Touched his heart with sudden pity. Lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, said Cromwell. Curfew will not reign tonight. Like her, we have to be willing to walk through pain with others. To walk into the deepest and darkest part of people's lives with them. And so, that is love described. There are many more that are here in this chapter. You should read them and get to know them. But it is the 
It is the picture of the Spirit life, love in, this, in the life of one who's led by the Spirit. So we have love defined, love described, and finally tonight, love desired. 1 Thessalonians chapter, you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. People have a desire to know love. Love is something, we know love is something that can increase in our life. Look at verse 12. Of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. What is he saying here? That love can abound, love can increase, love can grow. And uh, if we commit ourselves, listen, here's love, you can grow in love. Love is not only an emotion. Love is also a decision. We decide to love. We commit ourselves to love. That's what this passage is telling us. That you may increase and abound in love to one another and to all. And there's two distinctions. There's two categories that are there in this verse. There's the category of the saints. And here Paul is talking that you can increase and abound in love towards one another. It's a saint relationship. It's a relationship between the saints of God. That our love can increase for one another. That our love can grow with one another. And then for all, who's that? That's the sinner. That our love toward the sinner may grow. That we may, may, we may if we don't learn to love one another, then... Without love, we can't worship and we cannot do the work of the Lord. And so we have to learn to love one another. Let our love grow, but also our love grow for the sinner. To be broken hearted towards the sinner. One of the things that life has done is that technology has allowed us to isolate ourselves one from another. To create a loneliness to bring people to the place of despair and to the place of where they're looking for someone to love them. But we are to love the sinner and to continue to love the sinner and love them to the place of forgiveness. We have to decide to love. Pastor Adam, if you come, we have to decide to love. And when we're driven to the Lord in prayer, and we're driven to the Lord, it's where we grow in this grace of love. And you say, well, what does love got to do with it? It has everything to do with it. And I want to challenge us tonight as we study this first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, the power of love in our lives. Love has an, it's an incredible force. But there's no greater force than the, the love of agape that drove Jesus to the cross and his love for us. 
as I was writing and preparing this message and reading, it was like the Lord was putting His finger on areas of my life where I need to grow in love and abound in love even more. Even in some of those areas of patience, of kindness, even in some of those areas of loving people where they are, being patient with others. You know, a lot of times when we are attacked or when we are something is someone takes advantage of us or takes advantage of our generosity or takes advantage, sometimes we want to respond quickly and mash it down and, and end it or whatever. But sometimes we just need to let the Lord take care of it and do the work. And the Lord will. One of the things I've learned is there's a lot of things that I instinctively inside I want to respond. I want to instinctively respond because that's my human nature. But you know sometimes if you'll just take it to the Lord and give it to Him, you know sometimes He'll do all the work. Every area of restoration or forgiveness or areas where things need to be, if we just wait on the Lord. You know, I'm thankful that there were people in my life who were patient with me. <laughs> anybody ever had anybody in their life you're thankful they were patient with you? Maybe your wife. <laughs> Some of you can be thankful that your wife was patient in you. My wife's been patient with me, I can tell you that right now. Right? And so we're thankful that people believe in us and hang in there with us. Hallelujah. Stand with me tonight if you would. I want to challenge us to become a church that loves, that we pick up the fruit of the Spirit of love, that we're able to carry that fruit of the Spirit as one of the driving forces of this fellowship. We love people where they are. We give people room to grow. We give people room to, to work out the Christian life. How many know sometimes we blow it? None of you. I know I have. I've blown it many times. If you'll hang around with me long enough, you'll know that I do it a lot. <laughs> but thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for his agape love. Hallelujah. I love you beyond just friendship. I love you beyond just fellowship. I love you beyond, beyond, uh, you know, beyond phileo, brotherly love. The love that God has put in my heart for you is an agape love. Sacrificial love. It is a sacrificial love. We don't see or hear a lot of that nowadays. But you know what? I think in order for this world to get saved, we're going to have to be like the young lady that petitioned, petitioned Lord Cromwell. And sometimes we may, have, we may have to climb the bell tower and hang on in the belfry. Hang on to the, while the clapper pulls that thing. and It could be bloody and bruisey, bru get bruised sometimes. But sometimes taking that stand, that sacrificial love for the world, it's a call. It really is a call to be a loving church, to love people, 
beyond, you know, to do what we can, to be generous, right? How, how, I mean, to be generous in what we do. We have to be generous. And you know, sometimes people will take advantage of it, but we don't lose patience with them. Not everybody you give to is always going to come back and say thank you. <laughs> Matter of fact, some may come back for more <laughs> and never say thank you. But does that mean you stop being generous? Stop being loving? No, you do it because it's out of what God's put in your heart. You do it because God commands us to love and to give. And that produces generosity. And so I want to pray for us tonight. I believe that if we're going to change a city, we're going to have to love people because they don't understand godly love. They live in a modern world. They're like the Greeks were. The only love they know is erotica. What they lust after. What they desire. Let's pray tonight. Father, produce that supernatural love in us to love people that even as sometimes have disappointed us. God, we've all been disappointed We've been disappointed through our generosity. We've been disappointed through our giving. We've been disappointed in willingness to stand with and to be with, to to help walk people, carry them through certain things. But we are a church that bears all things. We are not envious. We're patient. We're kind. We are a church that is loving. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love. Help us to love like Jesus did. Help us to have compassion like Jesus did. And we thank you, God, for that supernatural Holy Ghost love. Let it be behind every act of our spiritual gifts, every manifestation of your gift. May love be the root. May love be the cause. May love be the principle. We thank you tonight that we're able to love a world that is lost and without Jesus. We love this world. We're going to love them to heaven and out of hell. And We thank you, God, for those whom you sent to us to love. God, help us to be faithful to love them. Love them through it. Love them out of it. Love them into the kingdom of God and into his glorious light and revelation. We ask that be the foundation of the fruit of of the Spirit tonight. Let it be the foundation of this church. We thank you, God. We receive it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give... You can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.